Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 32 years. Wow. What a great, awesome day I had in surgery yesterday. In fact, if you want to see one of the surgeries... That I enjoyed so much yesterday was a shoulder replacement. And a young man who, 10 years ago, someone else did surgery for a torn labrum. And it became an arthritic shoulder. Painful movement. The shoulder is fascinating to me. I mean, I love, I then followed up with hip surgery and knee surgery. They're all terrific. (laughs) They're all a carpenter's son's dream three-dimensionally that's how you have to think as a surgeon because if you don't put that shoulder in properly it'll dislocate it's not just what the x-ray looks like which is two-dimensional you got to make sure it doesn't pop out the front or the back but if you want to see what a beautiful shoulder replacement looks like go on twitter you can follow me at dr robert clapper i put a picture of beautiful shoulder replacement such a rewarding day but i couldn't wait to get up early this morning to be with you on the Weekend Warriors show, almost 11 years now. And what a great show we have planned. I can't wait till 8.15. My guest calling in is Kim Whitecamp. She's a professional storyteller. Brian Bemmel from the Ojai Storytelling Festival. 20 years that festival's been going on. And she's the superstar. So she'll be calling in from Ohio to teach us about the art, the skill, the craft of storytelling. And it made me think all week how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery. And for 11 years, I'm sitting behind this microphone every Saturday morning with you telling stories. So I thought about it. There's really only three kinds of stories. A story about yourself, a story about someone else, Or a made-up story, a fantasy. That's it. I can't think of any others. And in the world of sports, the man who did it best, he retired, he's still alive, thank God, in his 90s, was Vince Scully. And I need you to hear Vince Scully do two things. One, tell a story about someone else, which is John Wooden, the UCLA icon, coach for many years who lived to be almost a hundred years old and John Wooden's relationship with Vin Scully and also I want you to hear Vin Scully from 1982 when he won the Frick Award pretty much putting him into the Hall of Fame for baseball as an announcer and Vin Scully tells an amazing story of fantasy of make-believe He calls it a legend from the West story. The craft, the art, the skill is all on display. Using your voice like Frank Sinatra as an instrument. Ella Fitzgerald. It's not just a voice, it's an instrument in the band like a horn or a guitar. And in the world of art, where do I find in my lifetime the greatest storyteller? Well, the man who changed all of our lives, the man who created the iPhone and so many other things, was Steve Jobs. And in 2005, he gave the commencement speech at Stanford University. He never finished college. He barely got through one year at Reed College. But his story about himself is so inspiring. 
and it's similar to the story I will tell about myself of why I defied all logic, all advice from my advisors when I was in college to not be a science major like everybody else who wanted to go to medical school in the 70s. They flat out told me, son, you do that, you'll never get into medical school. And guess what I majored in? Art history. That's why I love art so much. It's because of one teacher. I trusted my gut, just like Steve Jobs will tell us. And I defied the advice that told me, don't do that. Storytelling, it is what makes us human. I think it's therapeutic. I think there's a healing component to it. And I can't wait to hear from a professional, one of the best in the business, about what's really going on in storytelling. So don't miss it at 8.15. Clapper Vision, I want to talk about LeBron James. What exactly is an abdominal strain? And I've done Clapper Visions before about your six-pack muscle. The rectus abdominis is similar to a shirt where you tuck it in behind your belt and your pants. Not one of these shirts that you don't tuck in, but a shirt that you tuck in behind the belt. That is how your six-pack muscle, your rectus abdominis, which comes from your rib cage and anchors to the top of the bone of the pelvis, the pubic symphysis. But what makes the abdominal muscle so fascinating to me is the ultimate clap revision, which is about a pickle barrel or making wine. You know those wooden barrels? Those are vertical straps of wood. That's what makes the barrel top to bottom. But what makes the barrel round are horizontal metal bands that go around it so that the barrel doesn't break. Vertical, horizontal. Your abdominal muscles are vertical, rectus abdominis, and horizontal. It's called the transverse um, muscles, abdominal muscles. But here's what's interesting about your abdominal strain that LeBron James was dealing with. Our, our barrel, our belly, our abdomen has a third type, and they're called the obliques, and it allows you to rotate your body. So there's actually three kinds of abdominal muscles, vertical, rectus abdominis, transverse abdominis, and the external and internal oblique, diagonal muscles, and they anchor to that bony pelvis. You strain them. Every move you make, it hurts. But that's what gives us strength so our guts don't spill out. Those three layers of different directional muscles themselves. Clapper vision. We'll get into it. The clinic will be open later. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And I want to talk about food today. And when I think of food, as it relates to storytelling, there's only one food that comes to mind, and that is a s'more. But I'm not sending you to some bakery to get graham crackers, marshmallows, and chocolate. I'm sending you to an ice cream place, and the flavor is actually not even called s'more. It has a different name to it, but it is without a doubt the greatest ice cream I've ever tasted. Perfect. And it's here in L.A., and I'll give you a clue. No, I won't give you a clue. I'm going to tell you about it later. It will be life-changing for you, and you'll need to go to this place. It's in the South Bay. I'll give you a hint for the best ice cream I've ever had. But let's get into today's show, which is about storytelling. Who better to start it with than Vince Scully telling us a story that's made up, fantasy. This is the story he told in thanking the Hall of Fame for putting him in the Hall of Fame. But it's a beautiful use of words. Listen to how he paces himself, raises his voice, lowers his voice, keeps you on edge, uses the right amount of alliteration, but not too much. He's the champion of silence, Vince Scully, in his storytelling. Listen to this and enjoy this. Cherish this. 1982. And I'd like to conclude with a story. There is a legend in the West 
of an Indian chief who was wont to test the manhood of his young braves by making them climb up the side of a mountain as far as they could in a single day. And at daybreak on the appointed day, four braves left the village. This is like a bar mitzvah for Native Americans, testing their manhood. The first one came back in the late afternoon with a sprig of spruce to show how high he had climbed. Later that afternoon, another came with a branch of pine, and much later in the day, the third came with an alpine shrub. Mm. Raising his voice, lowering, speeding up his voice, slowing down his voice. But it wasn't until late that night, by a full moon with the stars dancing in the heavens, that the fourth brave arrived. What did you bring back? How high did you climb? asked the chief. And the brave said, where I was, there was no spruce nor pine to shield me from the sun. Listen to how Vince Scully describes the top of the mountain. There's no trees. It's cold. My feet are cut up. The rocks. It's dark. He's painting a picture with words. There was no flower to cheer my path. There was only snow and ice and barren rocks and cold, hard ground. My feet are torn and bloodied. I'm worn out and exhausted. I'm barehanded, and I have come home late. But, and then a wondrous look came into his eye, and he said, I saw the sea. That wondrous look. Who uses the word wondrous to tell a story? Vin Scully does. Barehanded. He didn't bring the chief anything. But he got to see something priceless, the sea. That's how high he went. He went to the top of the mountain and could see the Pacific Ocean. Who cares about the pine or the spruce or the aspen brush? Vince Scully's trying to set the table with this story of how he feels after 33 years of being a broadcaster and now in the Hall of Fame. That's the point of this fantasy story. For 33 years, the good Lord has allowed me to do what I've always wanted to do, broadcast my favorite game. He has allowed me to climb my mountain. And today, thanks to the Ford C. Frick Award, I thank you for sharing this moment with me, because believe me, today, I saw the sea. Each and every Saturday morning, I'm telling you right now, I see the sea. To be able to do this Weekend Warrior show. Sundays, I'm actually in the sea, surfing. But that joyous feeling of being on top of a mountain, broadcasting, it's awesome. So there's storytelling in fantasy. What about storytelling, not about yourself, but about someone else? Well, John Wooden, the legendary coach of all time, forget about just college basketball at UCLA, of all time, lived to be almost 100 years old. And when he dies, Vin Scully is at the memorial. I need you to hear how he begins that speech about someone else, that story about someone else. And then I want you to hear a personal story he tells about John Wooden being his very first neighbor, his very first person he meets when he comes to L.A. in 1958 from Brooklyn. John Robert Wooden, 1910-2010. Between those numbers, a life of success and value. Success can be measured by what you receive from your fellow man. And the value of a man is what he gives back. John Wooden was successful, but more importantly, he was a man of substance, of character, and certainly of value. He gave back. He gave back. And when John Wooden was still alive and was given an award, the first one to sign up to be there was his friend, Vin Scully, the storyteller, to tell a story about their first meeting. This is storytelling of the highest order. Fifty years ago when the Dodgers came here to Los Angeles, my wife and I lived in a small apartment on the west side and being the doting husband that I am, 
I went to the grocery store and came back with my arms full of groceries, and there was a little wooden fence and a gate that opened up to the area leading to the little two-story apartment house, and I couldn't open the gate because my arms were full, and a man stepped out of nowhere and said, here, let me help you, and he opened the gate. Well, who was that guy, Vin? That story you're telling about yourself and about someone else. And then I said, thank you. And he said, hi, I'm John Wooden. I'm the basketball coach at UCLA. John was one of the first of all the people in this great city that I ever had the pleasure of meeting. As the years went by, I realized that he has more than just opened the gate for other people in his long career. He is not a coach. He is more than a teacher. He really is a genius in his ability to inspire. Can you imagine using that metaphor, opening the gate? He had groceries, and he says he opened the gate for other people's lives. This is a storyteller par excellence, Vin Scully. And I think there are a few giants that walk amongst us, and he is certainly one of them. And I apologize for being so brief, but I would not have missed this day for all the tea in China. So, John, I love you. I look forward to seeing you on the 13th. And if ever a man deserved to be honored, you're that man. Mm. Storytelling. Fantasy and storytelling about someone else. But the greatest storyteller in the world of art for me, who could tell better stories about himself and his journey, was the great Steve Jobs. Coming up next, you're going to hear a magnificent story by the best who ever did it in art. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Holy emoji, Clapman. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Wear Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. Going on, it's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Forget about it. You're not having surgery. This is what you're going to do. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Oh, my God. Every single bone and joint in my body hurts right now. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Don McLean, American Pie. Two things about that story, that song that I love. One, whenever you hear a disc jockey playing it on the radio, it means they have to go to the bathroom because that song is the longest. It gives them plenty of time to go to the bathroom and come back. And the second thing is, he was interviewed once. They asked him, what exactly does American Pie mean? And Don McLean said, it means that I never have to work again. That's what that song means. Love it. But when I think of storytelling in the world of art, you heard in the world of sports, Vince Scully, and I'll tell you some stories about surgery and my journey. But in the world of art, I grew up hearing the word story in art. And this is what I heard. Here's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold. <laughs> That's right. The Brady Bunch. There's the word story. But actually, it was in 2005 that I was mesmerized by an artist 
who also was in the world of science and combined them both, just like I love to do, to combine the world of art, science. He didn't combine sports, but art and science. And it was Steve Jobs, the Thomas Edison of our lifetimes, who changed so many fields. The fact that I'm using a mouse to click on these sound bites is all because of him. Everything we do, this man had a, a touch of it. But when he is asked to address Stanford University and give the commencement speech for college graduates, he says yes. But he also has to tell them, this is the closest I'll ever get to a college graduation because I didn't go to college for four years and graduate. I went for one year and dropped out. But he teaches those students and all of us in this speech what life is really all about. And when I think back on my life and the risks that I've taken, he's exactly right. Tomorrow, your life can go in an infinite number of directions. You have no idea. I could be in a car accident driving home today from the radio station. You have no idea what's going to happen in the future. But you can tell me what you ate for breakfast yesterday. I can tell you the surgeries that I did yesterday. The past is just I did this and then this happened. I did this. You connect the dots. But not the future. But how do you live for the future? He tells you. You follow your gut. You take chances. Listen to the greatest storyteller in my lifetime in art tell us a story. Steve Jobs. Truth be told, I never graduated from college, and uh, this is the closest I've ever gotten to a college graduation. <laughs> Today, I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it. No big deal. Just three stories. They are a big deal, Steve Jobs. And here's the first one. The first story is about connecting the dots. I dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but then stayed around as a drop-in for another 18 months or so before I really quit. So why'd I drop out? It started before I was born. My biological mother was a young, unwed graduate student, and she decided to put me up for adoption. She felt very strongly that I should be adopted by college graduates, so everything was all set for me to be adopted at birth by a lawyer and his wife. A lawyer and his wife a college graduate, but that's not what's going to happen to our buddy Steve Jobs. Except that when I popped out, they decided at the last minute that they really wanted a girl. So my parents, who were on a waiting list, got a call in the middle of the night asking, we've got an unexpected baby boy. Do you want him? They said, of course. My biological mother found out later that my mother had never graduated from college and that my father had never graduated from high school. She refused to sign the final adoption papers. Can you imagine? His dad, so special to him, but not his biologic dad, his adopted dad. His dad, if you read the Walter Isaacson book about Steve Jobs, taught him so much. If you took a screwdriver, which doesn't exist, and could open up the back of your iPhone, which you can't, but if you did, the inside of that phone would be pretty. Even though you're never going to see it, it's going to be pretty. You know where he learned that? From his dad, his adopted dad. When he was eight years old, he tells the story. They painted a fence in front of their house with bushes behind them, behind the fence. And at eight years old, he helped his dad paint that fence, the front of it. He said to his dad, okay, we're done. Dad said, no, Steve, we got to paint the back of the fence. And his dad said, we're not done. Steve Jobs, the eight-year-old, said, what do you mean? No one's going to see the back of the fence, Dad. That's silly. And his dad said, I know no one's going to see it, but you have to paint the front and the back of the fence, even though no one's going to see it. You have to take pride in your work. You have to make it beautiful. All those years later, that's why your iPhone has no screwdriver, and you'll never see the guts of it. But trust me, if you could, it's beautiful. She only relented a few months later when my parents promised that I would go to college. This was the start 
in my life. And 17 years later, I did go to college. But I naively chose a college that was almost as expensive as Stanford. And all of my working class parents' savings were being spent on my college tuition. After six months, I couldn't see the value in it. So he drops out. He's saving his mom and dad who worked hard their whole life. He can't see spending their money. For him, it just doesn't make sense. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and no idea how college was going to help me figure it out. And here I was spending all of the money my parents had saved their entire life. So I decided to drop out and trust that it would all work out okay. It was pretty scary at the time, but looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on the ones that looked far more interesting. For me, I wasn't going to take biochemistry. I'm taking courses on Michelangelo. They ain't going to get me into medical school, but I didn't care. I had the world authority on Michelangelo as a professor, and that is priceless. It wasn't all romantic. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in friends' rooms. I returned Coke bottles for the five-cent deposits to buy food with. And I would walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night to get one good meal a week at the Hare Krishna temple. I loved it. And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let me give you one example. Storytelling. He's got you. He's wrapped you up and you've got to hear what's next. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphed. Because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography great. Mm. He's building it up. Calligraphy. Those are the letters on the typewriter. They could look like all kinds of designs. But there's a science to it that he learns in this class he decided to drop in on. It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture. And I found it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me. And we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have them. <laughs> If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. He's teaching these students with a story. That's what storytelling really is. It's a teaching opportunity. My second story is about love and loss. I was lucky. I found what I love to do early in life. Waz and I started Apple in my parents' garage when I was 20. We worked hard, and in 10 years, Apple had grown from just the two of us in a garage into a $2 billion company with over 4,000 employees. We just released our finest creation, the Macintosh, a year earlier, and I just turned 30. And then I got fired. <laughs> How can you get fired from a company you started? Well, as Apple grew, we hired someone who I thought was very talented to run the company with me. And for the first year or so, things went well. But then our visions of the future began to diverge, and eventually we had a falling out. When we did, our board of directors sided with him. Mm. And so at 30, I was out, and very publicly out. Finally, he's going to teach us in this second story the lesson we all should learn. 
to love what you do. I love being a surgeon. I love being on the radio. I love surfing. I love sculpting. I love inventing tools. I love writing books. Don't do it if you don't love it. That's what he's teaching us with this story. But something slowly began to dawn on me. I still loved what I did. The turn of events at Apple had not changed that one bit. I'd been rejected, but I was still in love. And so I decided to start over. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again, less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. Creative periods, storytelling in art, Steve Jobs, storytelling in sports, Vin Scully. Coming up next, I'll tell you a story from my dad, my favorite story he told me. And I'm also going to take you into the operating room. For those of you who've had surgery where there's a staple in your knee, a screw from previous surgery, and now you have arthritis, how do you take that staple or screw out? I had to do that twice this week in doing knee surgery. I'll tell you some stories from surgery. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the Doc from 7 to 9 a.m. But... Don't miss my show, Monday morning on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. That's right. Mahalo. Aloha. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Ahui hoy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm 64 years old. I still have no idea what that song means. And I'm not uh, convinced that they actually even know what that story means. A lot of the surgeries that I do on your shoulder, on your knee, on your hip, particularly in your knee, where I have to do an implant for arthritis where the cartilage has worn out, very often it's because someone else has previously operated on your knee to fix a ligament, to fix a fracture. And there's a term called post, because it's after, traumatic, because it's trauma, post-traumatic arthritis. And the elegance of being able to put new cartilage in using you know, the modern titanium and plastics that we use, Tony Danza's tap dancing on Broadway, William Shatner just went to space with surgery I did I can say it because they both called into this show to tell everybody but if you're listening to this show and you've had previous surgery and there's a staple from 30 years ago that they banged into your bone to fix your ligament or there's screws in your knee from previous surgery the difference between being a carpenter and a carpenter's son who became an orthopedic surgeon is that when you put a nail or a staple into a two by four a piece of wood it doesn't really change but when you put a staple into bone to fix a ligament guess what happens over time the bone grows over the staple you literally can go through the skin go looking for it and not see it because the bone grew over it and hides it and here's the problem as a surgeon, you have to often get that staple out or screw out of the bone so you can put the implant in. And you have to be careful not to destroy the bone and fracture it in the very process of removing the staple and the screw. So there are tricks after 16,000 surgeries that I've come up with 
that allow me to elegantly remove this old hardware without injuring the bone for the new operation. And one of my favorite ones, it's almost like being a magician. Because if the bone overgrows that screw or staple, and it really will be destructive to the bone to try to hammer away at it from the outside of the bone, guess what I love doing? I love going from the inside of the bone. Well, how do, how do you get into the inside of the bone, Dr. Clapper, to be able to remove it? Well, for example, when I do knee, a, a knee implant, I literally take a saw and take off the top of the tibial plateau, that's the top of your shin bone, to put the implant in. Well, guess what that does? That allows me to now look into the marrow from the top, look into the marrow of the bone. And I can very elegantly use nice thin tools and bang into the metal on the inside of the bone. And I can elegantly loosen up the marrow inside the bone and like a magician, take the staple or screw out without injuring the cortex, the outside of the bone, by taking it out from the inside. Isn't that cool? You got to take your time. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned as a surgeon was this. In surgery, experience teaches you that there's a time to go fast and there's a time to go slow. And as a surgeon, the time to go slow is in the elegant exposure of the anatomy. I see surgeons, they're in a hurry. Millennials, can't wait, boom, next, boom, boom, boom. No. But on the other hand, I don't need a surgeon to take five hours to do something that should take a half an hour. You have to know the anatomy. And I don't care how many computers, robots, lasers, whatever the beautiful new technology is. I'll tell you one thing that never changes. You know what never changes? The way God made us, our anatomy. I love reading anatomy textbooks from 50 years ago, 100 years ago. In college, I wrote a thesis about an anatomy book from 1543. 500 years ago. Guess what? It hasn't changed. Our anatomy is the same. And the way you look at it as a surgeon is the same. You have to know where that artery is and stay away from it, where the nerve is and stay away from it. Where is it safe? Where can you make your exposure without injuring structures? This is the fun part. This is the elegance. I'll get into more detail of surgery, and I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. But I want to tell you a story that was my favorite story that my dad told me growing up. He was in World War II. As a storyteller, he was great. Probably what inspired me, I know it inspired me to come on the radio, to think that I could do this. But my dad grew up being Jewish, had his own anti-Semitism, lost out on jobs, and had discrimination because of it. And it was blatant in those days. He was born in 1915. They didn't mess around. They just said, get out of here. And he knew the reason, because he was Jewish. So when he learned that Nazis and Adolf Hitler were killing Jews in Europe, my dad said, I'm going to the army. I'm going to Germany. And he did. He didn't go to any military academy. He just went. And they were happy to send him. And I just couldn't wait to, you know, as a kid, hear all the stories. He brought back some relics from, I have a Nazi helmet he brought back. I have some really cool stuff that he brought back. But like most of the veterans of World War II, they, they felt they had a job to do and were, you know, didn't see themselves as heroes. And my father did not either. But I couldn't wait to like, oh, you know, who'd you kill? How do you people? And I just, he was just a hero to me always in everything. And I just wanted, I 
dug it out of him to get these stories. But the greatest story he told me, which I had a force out of him, was the day he was fighting in the Black Forest in Germany. And the general decided to come visit the front lines. My dad was a corporal. When I asked him, could you have become a sergeant or a general? He said, yeah, they wanted me to become a sergeant. He said, but I said, no. I said, why not? He said, because I didn't really want to order anybody around. Like, Listen to me on the radio. I can't wait to order people around, but not my father. He was a very soft-spoken, humble, quiet guy. He just stayed as being a corporal, and that was good enough for him. So the big general came to visit the men on the front lines that day. And the sergeant said, Clapper, take the general to where we were fighting yesterday. So my father told me they got in the Jeep. My dad was driving. And there's the fancy schmancy general in the passenger seat. He says they drove through the forest. They got to a clearing where they were fighting yesterday, the day before. He parks the Jeep. They get out. And all of a sudden, out of the forest, out of the woods, my dad told me a beautiful deer with antlers came out of the woods into the pasture where they were fighting heavily the day before. And the general took his rifle and aimed it at the deer who was eating the grass, minding its own business in the field, and pulled the trigger. And the gun jammed. The general then looked at my dad, Corporal Clapper, and said, Corporal, you got your gun. Shoot that deer. And my father told me he looked at the general and said, With all due respect, sir, I didn't come here to kill that beautiful animal. I came here to kill Adolf Hitler. I'm not shooting that deer. And, you know, you disobey an order from a general, you get into trouble. But my father didn't care. And that tells you everything about my dad. Strong, tough, going to hit you back if you hit him. But he's not going to take the life of a beautiful animal for the sport of it. Storytelling probably comes from him. He didn't realize it. But those kinds of stories really inspired me. And you guys are the benefit because I get to join you Saturday mornings and regale you with stories of art, surgery, and sports. And at 8.15, we're going to hear from a professional storyteller. In the next segment coming up next, I got to tell you where that storytelling food is. The best I've ever had take you into surgery as well. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar Sinai, head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Don't miss my show, Mason and Ireland, back Monday at 1, all here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. All right. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm Big Clap. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. This is from Outcast. 
Zach tells me it's the art of storytelling. Great, I don't hear a single word coming out of this song. How much storytelling is going on right here? What a crazy world we live in. Ah, Numbers 877-710-ESPN. I want to tell you another story about surgery, though. In hip surgery, there's so many young patients that I see, and I mean young, like 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds. I'm not just doing implants on your grandmother. I'm doing them on you, young people. And the reason is, is that if you are born where the ball is too big for the socket or the socket is too big for the ball of your hip joint, there's a mismatch. We have a fancy word for it. It's called dysplasia. And very commonly, it's that the ball is too big for the socket. So think about a golf ball on a golf tee. If there's not much of a socket for the ball and socket joint, you really can wear out the cartilage prematurely. And so you can be 38 years old or 42 years old and be limping and disabled. And this week, I had a patient, 42 years old, couldn't walk. Leg length discrepancy, probably half inch short on that side. I love telling the patients. I learned one thing from my dad in carpentry. Measure twice, cut once. To be able to lengthen the leg back to the right length, but not too much. You don't want to lengthen it too much. But to make it equal again is such a pleasure for your lower back. Because if you continue to walk with a leg length discrepancy, it puts strain, particularly if it's more than a half inch, on your lower back. But how do you create a deeper socket for the new ball and socket joint surgery that you're doing? If it's a flat wall, how are you going to make it into a hemisphere, a socket for the ball? This is why I love Michelangelo. Because I literally have to sculpt with special tools, and I just love using power tools, into the flat wall of the pelvis bone and deepen it ever so slightly and then use an implant with technology, believe it or not, that we learn from the dentists. God forbid an MD would give a dentist credit, but we should. We learn from a dentist how to get bone to grow into a titanium implant. So what they do for your teeth, well, we use it in orthopedics. But if I can get that beautiful bleeding bone to accept the titanium hemisphere, even a little bit of it to grow in, now it's locked into your bone. Even though it's not deep, it's part of you. Now the titanium has a roof for the ball of the ball and socket joint that you never had before. And there's another big advance that's happened. And that's in the way the plastic is locked into the titanium shell. For most of my career, you would snap the plastic shell into the metal socket. And that was great. But hips could rarely dislocate, and you could also wear the plastic out. How great would it be if the plastic isn't locked in but could move also, that mobility that your joint naturally has? And theoretically, you may wear the plastic out less if it's moving. There's no less friction. So it's called a dual mobility. And that's what I love to use when I do hip surgery on young people and old people. Pretty much exclusively, that's what I use. Dual mobility. What a big advance. And the ball is no longer made of metal. I use a ball made of ceramic. Also with the idea that this will last the rest of your life. So exciting. Here's your clapper vision of coming into surgery with me. And let's talk about food before I'm going to tell some more stories at the top of the hour and then have our guest at 8.15, a professional storyteller, 
Kim Whitecamp. When I think of storytelling, which I thought about all day in surgery yesterday in anticipation of today's show, but I got to talk about food. So when you sit around a campfire and tell stories, you're pretty much using the fire to melt marshmallows and put them on a graham cracker with some Hershey's chocolate, a s'more. And you can go and buy them, put them together yourself, or go to a bakery. But actually, my favorite way to eat a graham cracker, chocolate, and marshmallow is in ice cream. So in L.A. is my favorite ice cream place. And it's in Redondo Beach. And it's called Handles. Just like my guest calling in is calling in from Ohio. Well, let me tell you. The best dairy cows come from the Midwest. And the best cows that make ice cream, my mouth is watering already, they come from Ohio. Perfect. There's a flavor that you're going to need to go to. Handles in Redondo Beach. The flavor that I want you to get, they, they actually have a flavor called s'mores. And my favorite of all the flavors is the chocoholic chocolate. Tell them Dr. Clapper sent you, buddy. Hell yeah. This is going to be a line down the street by the time I stop talking about this. But there's a flavor that they have that is actually more delicious as a s'more than the flavor they have called s'mores. It's my wife's favorite flavor, and it's called Graham Central Central Station. Graham Central Station. This flavor has pieces of graham crackers in it, marshmallows, and I think some degree of chocolate. But it's the creaminess, and that speaks to the butterfat content. And I know gelato versus ice cream and all the rest of it. But ice cream is called ice cream for a reason, because it's made from cream. Gelato is not called ice cream for a reason, because it's actually made from milk. How do you tell you're dealing with the greatest ice cream? Because as soon as they scoop it out and put it on the cone or in the cup, it immediately starts to melt. The richness of the butterfat from the cream. Well, let me tell you something. At Handel's in Redondo Beach, as soon as you get that, Graham Central Station is going to start melting. And maybe it will inspire you to tell a story. Very sexy. That's right. All right, coming up next, I'll tell some more stories as we lead into a storyteller at 8.15. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. It's good to be king, right, King James? Absolutely. And good to be courtly friends on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. I love it. Be treated like medical royalty with Clapper Vision. Feast like a monarch on Doc's delectable finds. There we go. And that far rockaway jester humor. <laughs> Search Weekend Warrior and click on Doc's regal picture. Cool. <laughs> Sound the trumpets. No cortisone, alchemy, or leeches here. Everything's good. Bow, curtsy, like, or follow the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. That makes me happy. Cheers.